0: Hi, it's Marilyn, and welcome to another episode of Lead Your Day. Today's episode is a little late in coming, and there's a story behind that. So, before I launch into this podcast topic, I just wanted to mention how much I've resisted telling this story. Not because of the content of the story, it's just that uh, I've always been that kind of person who, you know, rolls their eyes when someone sends you a Christmas newsletter or A Christmas card with their photo on it. I don't know, somehow it felt a little bit self absorbed or narcissistic or something like that. I guess I was wrong. (laughs) But after reading many year in review posts over the Christmas and year period, I realized just how much stories inspire. And so if I can encourage just one other person through the story I'm about to tell of my last decade, or give just one person hope, then it was all worth it. August 2009, a Sunday morning. I was still in bed, sleeping in after moving home from London to Brighton three days earlier. Boxes were everywhere, and I was pretty exhausted. The day after we'd moved, my husband mentioned he had business in London and would come back on the weekend. So off he went. Uh, not wanting to cause waves, I let him go. And unpacking boxes wasn't his favourite thing. And besides, he was out of work. It was just after that, two, you know, the year after that 2008 crash. And I was a breadwinner at the time. So I guess it was important that, you know, he go up to London because he might have a job interview or something like that. Uh. That Sunday morning, I as I said, I was in bed, I heard his motorbike arrive out front. Hooray, I thought, he's home to you know to help unpack and decide what goes where and that kind of thing. A few minutes later, he was standing at the foot of our bed. And instead of chatting over coffee about how we could organise our new home, he told me he was leaving me. Well, tidal wave emotions crashed all around, honestly. You know, insecurity, fears, guilt, confusion, helplessness. But on the outside, I just froze. I didn't sh- scream or, ca- or cry. I was probably subconsciously trying to be the model wife here. A few minutes into the one-sided conversation, as he was still standing there at the foot of our bed, the telephone rang. It was my cousin from Australia. And she said, Marilyn, can you make sure you're sitting down. I've got something to tell you. <laughs> oh dear. My mother had been discovered near death in her bed just a few hours earlier. Three days earlier than that, she'd taken an overdose of sleeping pills. She didn't die from that, but she'd almost died of pneumonia instead. It was winter. She, did, she was virtually nearly freezing in her bed. Now, mum was always pretty hardy, she survived. Apparently though, she'd had dementia and depression. It turns out that was the cause of it. And it wasn't being taken seriously by her doctor. And none of her family knew because I was living in England. My brother was living interstate and there was just the two of us and she was very much alone. And sadly, as many of the elderly do, she felt useless and incapable and thought it would be less bother for everyone if she wasn't around. Poor mum. Well, I think I went into a type of shock. And I asked my husband to mind our son. Uh, he has type 1 diabetes and at the time was only six, so you know, he really couldn't be left alone. I needed air. I needed to just walk. So I walked around Brighton and New City in a daze. I didn't cry, I wasn't feeling, I was just numb. I I remember thinking back, it it wouldn't even matter if it was pouring rain. I probably wouldn't have felt it. I took myself to see a movie, but I just couldn't focus. My brother rang uh, and we had a conversation and he really couldn't understand why I wasn't jumping on a plane to come and help mum. But I was too embarrassed to tell him my marriage had just fallen apart and that I couldn't do it, especially as I was the one working. I was the one bringing in the income right now. And So I couldn't, I just couldn't do that. Five hours later, I walked in the front door. Five minutes after that, my husband walked out that same front door and rode off on his motorbike back to London. I remember sinking to the floor and just sobbing. A few days ago, I thought we were starting afresh as a family in a new city. And now the bottom dropped out of my world. And I was left gasping for air alone in a new city without support. And I've been told by professionals that the technical term for what happened was abandonment. Now, before you think, oh my gosh, how could he do that? I want you to stay to the end of this story because I've got a different way of viewing it all completely. And I hope it helps. Now, whatever had happened, I was far from leading my life, let alone leading my world. And I was ashamed And even though he'd left me for someone else, I was well-trained to take the blame, as women often do. So there's a few areas over the 10 years, and this happened exactly 10 years ago, there were a few areas, seven areas where I learned to lead my life. And the first one was leading my support system. So a month later, I took my first step towards leading leading my support system but leading my world i got the courage to pack up and move back to london so that i would be close to friends and also my father lived there as well and i remember being so afraid that the police would come and knock on my door and tell me i was not allowed to move without my husband's permission oh my gosh where did that come from and i know now that that's the patriarchy system or conditioning in action and happens, especially in trauma like that, it, it manifests. So I got to London, and I found a really cute one bedroom flat. I purchased a bunk bed, you know, a double decker bunk, bunk bed, which my son thought was a real adventure to be sharing a room with mum, remember he's six, and uh, him on the top and me on the bottom. And we set up life back in London. And Luca's old school accepted me back, and my girlfriends gathered around and organised meals and helped me clean and helped me unpack and you know, came and gave me hugs when I cried. So, my first step in leading my world was in getting a support system around me. As I knew I couldn't navigate this next phase alone, not physically and not emotionally. The next area was leading my boundaries. So, the first five years of this decade, of that, that last decade, I was learning to lead my own life. I'd been married for nearly 14 years and my husband had taken control of the finances, but he still didn't have an income uh, and was still drawing down on our accounts at a fairly rapid rate. So I was starting to feel resentment because I was funding him to basically live with someone else. And I went, so went to the bank and I opened up my own bank account in my name. I still get goosebumps thinking about this. The patriarchal, you know, message was screaming in my ears that I wasn't allowed to do this on my own, and I thought that the police, for somehow, would turn up and tell me I couldn't do that. And I, I went, I went down. I remember my heart beating really fast. Uh, I, and I went to the bank and then went home. I went online and I transferred much of my finances so that they were safe, so that I could survive with my son and I. Um, I still had a huge. Credit card debt, which he'd left, which I ended up paying myself. But it goes to show, you know, I was a smart, creative, intelligent person with a senior role in uh, the businesses that I was working with, and yet I was thinking this way. You know, I was grieving and adjusting to life as a single parent, and I think terror was probably my predominant emotion at the time. And I hadn't learned, as most of us don't, to process emotion little small emotion and definitely not big emotion. So remember, I'm le- learning to leave my boundaries here. Stay with me. So at the start of 2010, my mother-in-law, who is still to this day, my ex-mother-in-law now, but is one of my best friends. I'm one of her best friends. Well, she and my dad encouraged me to move home to Sydney from London. Now, I thought I'd be living in London for the rest of my life. It had become home. Uh, but the desire to lead my life on my own terms was growing inside of me. So my husband agreed to let us move home in lieu of a divorce. So we sorted that out. It wasn't easy, but we sorted it out. So in August, 2010, we moved my son and I home to Sydney, the original home. It was a culture shock. Remember, i had lived in London for over a decade. I could walk out of my front door and jump on a red bus or go to the tube. I was used to a different type of life. And here I was back in suburbia in Sydney. But you know, it enabled us to get a dog. And I started the decade long process of moving from surviving to leading my life. Yeah. And having a dog was pretty cool. (laughs) The first three years of this decade, however, were like moving about in a fog. (laughs) There was still much to go through before I could fully say I was leading my life and leading my world. Then one spring day in 2013, I picked up the post and sat down on my red lounge. I remember it very clearly to open the mail. And there was one particular fact, looking, official, crisp white envelope with a lawyer's name on the front. Curiosity <laughs> quickly changed to a panic. My heart started to race. Inside was a letter from my ex-husband's lawyer. He was taking me to court because I had tried to set up some boundaries and he didn't like it. Now, in hindsight, I can see that he was just acting in fear like I had to Hurting people reacting out of fear. And we act in crazy ways when we do that. A week or so later, I was traveling overseas for work and about to leave for the airport when that moment came just like it was in a movie. When someone comes to the door and summons you to court. You have to sign that, you know, that piece of paper, they hand over the envelope. And inside the affidavits were scathing. They were hurtful. They were vengeful. They were, again, from hurting people reacting out of fear. It was particularly painful too because I was not receiving financial support like I should. But as I found out soon enough, the court doesn't care about that. It's a lawyer's game. So fast forward a few months and I'm so grateful for the advice that came along and that I received. I let it go. I learned to fight for matters of safety and not to get justice. There was so much that felt unjust about it, but I had, I let it go. I allowed it. I let it go. It was a bitter pill to swallow, but I did it. The issue wasn't a custody issue. It was that he was wanting my son, then age 12, 11, 12, to travel alone between Europe and Australia. It sounds good, but having type one diabetes and not yet old enough to manage it alone. This was actually a dangerous request. So of course the doctors disallowed it. But on all other issues, I let my ex win, except that solo travel bit. It just wasn't worth the fight. And I see so many people get so caught up in wanting justice at the expense of setting emotional boundaries and letting things go. And sometimes it is worth a fight, but I, I realised this would take years. It would take a lot of expense and a lot of angst between two families. There was too much time, too much cost. And so I let go my need for justice. However, righteous I felt about it. And yet, I am, of course, I've got things to blame as well, but I allowed it. So the next area I learned over this decade was to lead my heart. I forgave my ex-husband. I forgave the court system; (laughs) they were probably the 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 big villains in this. I forgave myself. I forgave those who'd crafted words against me. I released. I forgave, and I released, and I forgave. And you might think, what has all this got to do with business? What has this got to entrepreneurship? Well, I'm getting there. (laughs) Hold on. Leading my health was the next area. I got to work on healing the impact on my body, because. You know, looking back, I could see that my nervous system was permanently in freeze mode. My poor adrenals, my poor nervous system, and my health responded accordingly. Rapid aging, uh, weight gain, complete adrenal collapse, anxiety, leaky gut, food intolerances, depression, back pain. I spent thousands on traditional and natural her- therapies to heal. And I made a quite a bit of progress, but still, there was so much more to come that related to emotional health and trauma. So let's move on to that. I learned to heal my trauma and I would never have thought or labelled it that before. I fell in love, got my heart, and then got my heart severely broken. But the silver lining and the purpose behind that was it exposed the unhealed trauma that had run deep, personal trauma. But then, then my mother who had survived the suicide years earlier, got sick. Now, another reason we'd moved home was also to be closer to my mum. And this was lovely because she got to spend the next eight years enjoying life again, enjoying her grandson. But she was diagnosed with a tumour at the back of her nose, a vicious one. And nearly four weeks later, she died. She passed, just like that. She lived three and a half hours away and the week prior to her death we had to drive, well, we had to drive home to get my son back to school. We'd spent a lot of time with her, helped, you know, clean the house, thinking that perhaps she'd live for months and months longer, and so went back to put my son in school. But a few days later I got a call from the home that she was in, the nursing home, who said, You better come now. (laughs) I remember, "Uh uh-oh, it's come. I just sensed it. I put my dog in the car. I rang grandma to look after my son when he'd got home from school and I drove. I was full of peace. I knew it was coming. And mum was unconscious by this stage, but she was holding on until I arrived. The nurses were very intuitive, very good. And they were whispering in her ear, she's coming, she's coming. And she held on. Six minutes after I arrived, after taking her clammy hand and thanking her for being our mum, a lone tear rolled down her cheek and she took her last gaspy breath and died very peacefully. Now, in packing up her home, I found a book that she'd been writing about her life. She'd been doing this for years. It was unpublished and it was tragic. Now, I knew my mum had had a hard childhood, but this was brutal, raw, unexaggerated, sad, and almost horrific. Well, it was horrific. A story of intense poverty, incest, escape, And I felt the weight of ancestral and collective trauma and therein started the deepest and most profound healing process I've ever experienced. Mind, body, somatic, experiencing, trauma, therapy, painful, beautiful, (laughs) liberated from the prison that my emotions, mind and body had grown accustomed to for 50 years so the next area of this decade, I learned to lead my calling. And throughout the whole of this decade, I was on that search, a search for my calling. And it was a familiar search. I'd had it since my teens. What was I meant to do with my life? What was Who was I meant to be? What was I meant to do? And in both Australia and Europe, I'd always had really amazing jobs and amazing opportunities, helping others build amazing brands, beautiful brands, helping grow amazing leadership teams. And I worked especially uh, for a really stunning British brand remotely. I lived in Sydney, they were in Europe, Britain. I did that for six years and I'll be ever grateful to my friends who own that company who allowed me to do that. And You know, I'll forever love the amazing brands I've helped birth or helped grow or helped support, but I craved my own amazing. I knew I was a teacher, but I didn't want to teach kids. I knew I was ambitious, but I didn't want the corporate ladder. I knew I was creative, but that didn't feel satisfying on its own. I picked up my camera yet again, but I knew I didn't want to be a photographer. I wanted to inspire and teach and do it online, touching the globe. And so we moved to the final area, lead my income. Now, this is a story on all on its own. And it's probably taken me a decade to be able to tell it. By the end of 2019, I was three years into my online personal brand. So in the decade, I had seven years of getting over what had happened to me emotionally, uh, working for other people's brands, consulting, freelancing, And then the final three, I built my own personal on my brand. Oh my gosh, what a journey. I'd spent the years before that searching for clarity, procrastinating, searching, researching. Uh, But at the end of 2016, I just started. And I can remember very clearly my very first online sale of $500 on the 6th of October 2016. And I recommend if you start your own business, write that down in a calendar and celebrate it every year. It was rough. It was without perfection, without really knowing what I was doing. I knew a lot about business. I knew a lot about people. But online and when it's your own brand with your name attached to it, that's another beast altogether. It was not a straight path by any means. It was a tangled ball of wool. In 2017, I'd had a five figure launch within the first three months of starting from zero. Oh my gosh, I thought, you know, I'd wound down my consulting work and I thought, hey, I'm really on my way. I've made it. And then my mum died two months later and that sent me into a spin. In 2018, I made only 25k and by the end of that year, I'd taken up four other part-time jobs to supplement my income. I really wish now that I had built my brand whilst I still had full-time income. But anyway, it's all part of the journey. But in 2019, the final year of the decade, I reached six figures, five times the previous year's income. Now, I don't normally like to quote numbers, and we all get sick of people you know, doing the six figure, seven figure, eight figure thing thing. However, they are a tangible measure that we can relate to. And so I share them to say that it's it's completely possible. That if you're standing there right now, I did. At the end of 2018, I thought, I'm going to have to pack this thing up. And only 12 months later, I'd 5X'd it. It is completely possible. I want to encourage you. Now, my team consists of my son who edits my podcasts and videos, a photographer who a friend of mine who takes my photos, and in late 2019 I took on a part-time assistant. Everything else I built or create myself. Now I started with zero audience, except for a few thousand followers on Instagram who were following me as a photographer, not as a business expert or business coach. But on the last day of the of the decade, I reached. 10,000 sub- subscribers email subscribers smiles people human beings now again it's not about the numbers but it's about the the tangible evidence in my life that I'd I was beginning to lead my world and whilst i have a much much bigger vision in my heart than what i've achieved in this decade and i've so much more to do and to be I see just how good it is to take stock of the decade. And I look back over the decade and I can celebrate raising my son by myself, putting him through private schooling and seeing him graduate in 2019, moving myself from England back home to Australia. I can celebrate starting my own business. I can celebrate learning from great business coaches and mentors. I can celebrate hearing personal and collective and ancestral trauma, and for people in my life who saw the gold in me when all I saw saw was the mud on the outside. I got to travel to England for at least once a year over the decade, and I got to visit beautiful countries, Scotland, Iceland, Italy, France, the United States, Switzerland, and New Zealand. And over that decade, I can celebrate and I'm so grateful for being able to live in my dad's house in Sydney and making it our home. Now, if anyone had told me 10 years ago that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I would probably have laughed at them or cried. (laughs) I share this to tell you this from my heart. Sometimes it can feel like circumstances are leading your world. The trauma, the heartaches, the run of bad luck, the illnesses, the lack of finances, but it can all change and quicker than you think. And in October, 2019, I had the absolute pleasure to be taken out to drinks and dinner with my ex-husband in Switzerland. Not as lovers, not as spouses, parents, or really even as friends, but as two people who had come full circle and could respect and forgive one another. Free. Free from surviving to leading my world. And in looking back over the last 10 years, all those areas where I learned to lead are relevant for you and for me in entrepreneurism And running your own business. Leading your support system. This is valuable at any stage. It took me too long to realise that I needed support as a business owner. So much support. And I did not start growing until I hired mentors and business coaches and joining masterminds and got two amazing mastermind buddies in Europe. I needed that support system, plus having friends in business who I could lean on and further on ahead to pull me forward. Leading your boundaries and letting the emotional and relational boundaries not crash down because you're people-pleasing or there's unmet emotional needs in trying to fulfill the wrong way. Leading your heart, learning the power of thankfulness, forgiveness, and allowing things instead of resisting leading your health you need that to be able to run a business emotional physical health leading your trauma you know there's nothing like owning your business to launch you into the biggest personal development ride ever but the answer isn't to have a morning routine or get over yourself or write some new habits or read some motivational self-help books or go to a another conference those things are okay but the entrepreneurial roller coaster that ride that happens be- well, it happens because our trauma is triggered purely and simple. And we all have trauma, personal, inherited, and collective. And most of the planet has not been taught how to process our emotions, how to lead the energy in our emotions. And that's what emotion is. It's energy in motion. And so it's trapped. And whether you believe that or not, it's true. And it gets triggered. And it's no wonder we are affected by procrastination and perfectionism, FOMO and fear of rejection and fear of visibility and comparisonitis. And then leading your calling. This is a huge subject and I'm going to talk more about it over the next month or so. But to close off, I think this this decade was about me learning that mainly. Going from looking for a calling from outside myself, looking for permission, looking for clarity and not moving until I had it to owning my calling from within and honouring that and stepping into it and giving myself permission to own it even when I didn't have the clear steps laid out in front of me. And leading my income is the result. Transforming from surviving and in debt to breaking free of all those, I guess, metaphorical prisons that have always kept my income levels safe or at a certain level. I truly hope my decade story encouraged you. Reach out to me and let me know. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, can you do me a favor? I've got three things I'd love you to do. Number one, pause and hit subscribe right now. Then number two, share it with someone you know that needs to hear this. And number three, go and write me a review. Yeah, it's a bit of a hassle to go find what to do, but it's really worth it to get the message out. And then finally, set a goal to go for a daily walk and listen to this podcast. Because the faster we can share this message, the greater the benefits. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.